The most memorable phrase someone once told me is, you don't know what you don't know. Sometimes we find ourselves looking back and realizing the sheer amount of lessons we learned along the way and ask ourselves, why did no one ever tell us this before? Today, John and I want to share with you guys a couple of things we wish we had known before entering the health field. Hopefully, you guys can gain new insight. Let's scale it down. So, John, you've been in this field for some time now. Looking back, what are five things you wish you had known before you had entered this field? Five things. Um, only five? Like yeah, so only f- only five. <laughs> the top five things are only five. Yeah. Oh, you make my life so hard. <laughs> um, so there's like a lot of things I wish I knew before going into medicine. But if I had to choose only five, I guess the first would be. So you remember that song from LMFAO, uh, the sh- the shuffle song? Oh, the every day I'm shuffling that one. Yeah, yeah. So I guess the first one is. Uh, for medicine is every day is insulin because there's such a lack of variation in the patients that you end up treating when you actually go into the clinical setting at right out of medical school it's kind of a shocker so in medical school with all the board exams you learn about all these different diseases like um, rare diseases a whole bunch of different things and you have to really know them because you're being tested on them and that's how you become that's how you pass your board exams and start working in the clinic, essentially. Mm. Okay. But what was the point of learning all that when every day we're going to see patients that are diabetic or hypertensive and just rinse and repeat? So that was kind of a shocker for me. So I think the one main thing is don't really expect every day to be like an episode of House or The Good Doctor where you see these mind-blowing cases like weekly or bi-weekly or monthly. That doesn't really happen. Or at least it didn't happen for me. It might happen for other people. I don't know. Uh, in real life, I mostly saw patients and managed patients who were, like I said before, diabetic, hypertensive. Uh, then you have patients coming in for annual physicals. A lot of patients who are coming in for mental health assessments. So you have patients with anxiety and depression. That's That was uprising, actually, since 2015, um, worse to when I left. And... A lot of the elderly patients come in with joint pain, um, such as arthritis. So it's typically those. Okay, so it's kind of like dentistry too. It's like you have some days where you have really interesting cases, and then some. Most of the times, you have a patient that comes in. There's nothing in their mouth. Like, oh, there's not even a cavity. Oh, just a scaling. And then it's just exactly just cleaning and the checkup, and that's it. I mean, okay. (laughs) Yeah. And those are boring. Like, I mean, it's good that the patients are healthy. It's good that we're not seeing these crazy messed up cases because, you know, that's dangerous for the patient. But it's interesting, right? Like, sometimes we just can't help but want to see it. So in our last episode, we talked about the two different cases. And I shared my specific example, which was not a case of my own. It was actually a case that my colleague had. And that's how, that's how we usually get to see these interesting cases from time to time. So they're not super common. They're pretty rare. But when they do come in, uh, at least in the hospital setting, we get the opportunity to, to do case studies, learn about 
the specific presentation, science, symptomology, management, and all that good stuff. That's in the hospital setting. And we get to learn about them even if they if they're not under our direct care. It's not the entire it's not the same as seeing the patient yourself and you fully treating the patient and you being responsible for that patient, but you know, it's sufficient. Alright, so yeah, good to see that we have uh we have some common grounds there. What about you? I'll I'll share five too. Um just to make it fair. Uh, I guess for me, I would say confidence is key in establishing patient relation, patient doctor relationship. Um, sometimes that is one of the more important elements uh, of clinical practice. Bad dentists out there. The good, the definition of good and bad. Most most of the times is based on the patient's perspective. I think what it is is when you present a case to a patient whether it's good news or bad news, the doctor has to present it in such a way or the physician or the health profession has to show it in such a way that, hey, I know what I'm talking about. I know what is good for your overall health. Let me give you an option. Let me tell you how it is. Let me break it down for you in such a way where you will trust me and you will believe that I am the right provider for you. I am the only provider out there that's good enough to take care of you. I think that's just another reality I found to be kind of epiphany. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I have a funny story about my parents actually, and our family doctor, and it's so strange. So my parents have a different view of what is a good doctor and uh, compared to me. So we had this, we had, we ran through a series of family doctors because a lot of them retired and stuff like that. but. I remember when we had our very first family doctor when we moved to Canada. Um, I was still very young, but he was this old German guy. And back then, you know, we didn't have computers, we didn't have up to date, we didn't have any of that stuff that we can look up things on the fly. So he had this giant medical book. Like it was something like called like, I don't know, it was like textbook for family physicians. And it was just huge. I think it was like eight inches tall. Like it was fully closed. It was giant. And every time he saw us and he took our history and heard our complaints or, or whatever, he would always excuse himself and then he would go to the room with the book because it was too heavy for him to carry because he's like 85,000 years old. Um, but sometimes we would be in that room with the book. So we would see him. He would take his time, like looking very carefully, go back to the appendix, search what like what he thinks it is, or he searches by symptomology. I really don't know because I never saw the book itself, the text. And he would find the page and he would just look and he would slowly read and he'd come back to us and tell us what what it was and how to manage it. And he would write us the prescription that we'd be on our way. I thought that was really good, even when I was younger. But my parents, <laughs> like they're just like, this guy doesn't know anything. <laughs> like this guy absolutely knows nothing. He has to refer to a book every single time. And that's when my parents decided to switch family doctors. And, we, and then we went to another family doctor who was the t exact opposite. He would hear something, he'd just like, okay, that's what this was, and, oh, yeah, I know what that is. And he'd just write, scribble something on a piece of paper, write the prescription down, and we and send us home. Right? My parents loved that guy. So just seeing that he was able to recognize what it is, identify uh, or correctly make the diagnosis, and then figure out which treatment to give them to make them all better, it was impressive to them. But to me, it wasn't impressive. It was kind of... It seemed rushed. Careless. Mm -hmm. I saw it careless, right? Yeah. So it's like, if you don't know, 
you should look it up because healthcare is no no fucking joke right it's not a joke at all but you know so what i'm trying to say with this is that building rapport and like kind of having that good relationship with your patients it's so difficult because it's everyone has different standards right is that something that you experience too or is it more is it a little bit different in um you know it's not about being the smartest guy or you know just knowing everything it's i mean obviously when i like as a health provider you have to know every you have to know you have to know a lot of things um you, you should know how to correctly diagnose you should be able to identify symptoms or you know look at radiographs and make a good proper treatment plan but you know if you're just a smart ass but at the same time you act like you don't care about the patient and you're not confident about presenting your treatment plan obviously the patient is not going to be very pleased i mean as a dentist we have to make a treatment plan sometimes that treatment plan can be pretty extensive you know if you feel like oh i think this is a cavity oh i think this could be a crown no of course the patient's gonna be like well, what is this doctor saying like is he saying I need to, or are they saying I need a crown? Do I need a filling? They're not giving me anything straight. So the confidence is very key because you want to tell them, hey, my name is Dr. Blah, blah, blah. I am the right dentist for you. I know what's right for you and I'm going to work with you and I'm going to build a proper relationship with you and work with you through each step of the way. And I think that really draws a patient to say, okay, I want to work with this doctor. I don't want to work with anyone else. Mm -hmm. I guess it's a little bit different than medicine because dentistry is more of a hands-on kind of thing. So you mm -hmm. do look at, like you said, you look at radiographs and you see that there's maybe a cavity and mm -hmm. the management or the next step would be something that you do with your hands. It's not right. prescribed. I mean, you, I guess you would prescribe some medication to go home with depending on what procedure, like some right. anesthetics or something or local anesthetics. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But for, I guess for family physicians it's not so much with their hands the only hands-on things they do is like maybe a palpation or a percussion if they're like super ancient but <laughs> uh, yeah i was just i was just interested because it was it's a subtle difference but i think the overall message is, is the overall message is the same where patient relationships are important a lot more important than you think it doesn't matter how much you know or how talented you are and patients in the hospital setting that's that's what we became doctors for to serve the patients so yeah i totally agree with you on that part just interesting the subtle differences that's all mm -hmm. i agree uh what's what's the second point uh, that you, yeah uh my second point uh so you can't really think about healthcare, or i guess dentistry and medicine in our case we can't think about that without talking about money right right yeah we can't ignore it uh we can't, we can't, because that's, it's huge. Um, the amount of money that it's going to cost to get into that route and the amount of money that might be generated once you finish your education and training. So I just kind of revealed point two and three. Um, okay. Don't steal it from me. Okay, okay, okay. I claim these. <laughs> okay. Um, so the second point for me is med school, and I'm pretty sure the same with dental school, is a lot more expensive than you would think. So I remember going into t med school and I looked up all the, the cost of tuition and everything. And I was like, okay, like it's going to be roughly this amount. But by the time I finished, it was way more than that. Was that, this, was that the case for you as well? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
and it's, and it's the case for a lot of people. Like, it just turns out to be so much more expensive than you ever thought. Of course, you most people would think, yeah, it's going to be more expensive when I, uh, than, than the actual cost of tuition and everything because they factor in all the different things. But those small amounts just really build up over four years. So, um, you went to NYU in New York City. Right. And you know expensive how... You know how much you know, you know firsthand how expensive that place is, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, New York is probably—I think it's probably behind San Francisco as the most expensive city, right? I think that's how it is. Uh, it's either the second or the most expensive city, I think, in in all of the United States. Yeah. I don't know that statistic, but it's top two. Mm-hmm. So either San Fran or New York, right? But now I don't know about dental, but I looked this up for uh, medicine a while back, and tuition roughly costs. I think 59K or almost, let's just say 60K per academic year Mm -hmm. for NYU Med. And then you have to factor in the cost of books, supplies, again, the cost for taking those board exams. And back when I was, back when I was learning, it was USMLE Step 1, Step 2 CK, Step 2 CS, and Step 3. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've cut a bunch of those out now, so don't really know exactly, can't remember, don't really care to be honest. Um, and you have to, you have to also factor in the cost of living for where the school is, and for you, at NYU, it was New York City, the t- one of like either the most expensive or the second most expensive city in all of the United States. So it gets to it gets to crazy amounts. Multiply that all by four time like by four years. Multiply that by four, mm-hmm. and you wind up with a pretty sizable bill by the time you finish. It's mind blowing, and it's a staggering amount. Like I, I'll straight up say like. For dental school, we came out with like six hundred ninety thousand after the four years, including wow. the interest. Yeah. Wow. So for me, um, I started actually taking loans from third year and onwards. So third year and fourth year for two years. So my 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 student loans and debt overall, it's, it's half of what my colleagues have. I, uh, my colleagues who took loans from the beginning to the end. Um, but I think one thing that's different or one other thing they have to consider is like private school versus public schools. So we know that private schools are generally more expensive and public schools can be cheaper like UCLA. Um, but every school is different for tuitions. And then you have to factor in whether the student is in-state or out-of-state students because that can fluctuate costs at different schools as well. Um, yeah, it's complicated, but... It's, it's, I think it's definitely important to think about before you commit to a certain school because that does have a huge impact when you when you finish. At least it did for me. Yeah, I think it did for me too as well. Uh, honestly, if I, I really wanted to specialize originally, but after looking at how much I pulled out in loans, I said, you know, I got I to gotta work to pay these off because I'd rather be in $609,000 debt than $1.2 million in, $1 million in debt. Yeah, and you also start accruing interest the moment you take out a loan. Like, it sucks. It's horrible. I remember when I finished, even now, I hate opening up my bank app and then just seeing that number. Like, I, I just hate it. So, like, I completely changed banks. So, I don't have to open that specific app because that app has all that information. So, I actually got credit cards from a different bank, opened bank accounts with a different bank. So, I just don't have to open that app. You know. did Nelnet, right? Hmm? 
You, you did Nelnet for your student loans, right? I actually did it with a Canadian one. Oh, okay. Because I'm Canadian. Oh, yeah. that's right. I forgot. But I got, a, I got a pretty good deal on it, so I'm only paying Prime. I'm not really paying anything else. So the interest rate is like 3. Point, I think 3.25 or 3.3%. So it's, not, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. I know people are paying way, way more. But you mentioned that you've, like, what, dental, it's like 650 to 700K by the time people finish. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I can't speak on behalf of everyone. And though I can say that the median cost of completing med school is around... 250k at public schools and 330k at private schools according to some source out there on the internet uh, my personal friends i have friends that actually finished at 600k uh, 500k another finishing close to 700k uh, another one finishing at 100k so it fluctuates so this is a medium which means that you know it can stretch really far on both ends um but yeah, but even if it's like 200k or 100k, that's not a small amount of money. And when you factor in, you know, everyone, a lot of students wanting to take those little mini vacations after the semester because, you know, they finally, they, they passed. So they, they feel like they right. deserve like a trip. Beats my mind why, why you would ever use loan money to travel, but whatever, whatever floats your boat. Um, and then others even have like, pre-med undergrad loans on top of their med school loans and that just kind of like you know it ends up being crazy big and so have you heard of something called uh becoming a doctor the one million dollar mistake uh i think we actually talked about this once and in passing but uh you just mentioned it because this is i think this is a couple of years back when we were drinking we were just we had talked about this very briefly yeah yeah so it's uh for the listeners it's um CBS released this news article, or a, I don't remember if it was a news article or a docu documentary, but it's called Becoming a Doctor, The One Million Dollar Mistake, and they kind of explain, talking about how much money has to be invested in becoming a doctor. Well, yeah, so that, that was my, I guess, things I wish I knew regarding money before going <laughs> to med school. Uh, what about you? What's Don't steal my other one. What's your, what's your second one? Mine is... Okay, so this is what I learned not in dental school, but after leaving dental school. Um, I, I work in the private sector, so entering the private field at a young age or looking younger than your age really derails your confidence in yourself as a provider. Um, for me, like, I work with not just, you know, like, you know, Caucasians, like, uh, and like Hispanic patients or like African-American patients. I worked also where I also work actively with Korean patients and Korean patients, I think are the hardest people to deal with because I've literally had patients just look at me and say, I don't want to be seen by the doctor, not because of reputation or anything like that. It is more because he looks young. And that really, when I first heard it, I, it, it shook me up pretty bad because I was just like, I thought I was speaking confidently. I thought I could, you know, you know, just present myself in a presentable manner. But their reasoning for not wanting to be seen by me was simply because I looked too young. Wouldn't they? That, that's funny because I personally like young dentists because if you think about it, dentists do a lot of work with their hands. One, younger people have more precision, I would imagine, um, and they would know the. They would know all of the newer techniques 
So that's actually kind of surprising to hear, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I have had patients, some patients where they're just like, yeah, I want to be seen by the young doctor because uh, oh, I'm sure he has like knowledge and better new techniques. I mean, that's that's true, but they what are, what they're saying is, oh, he's young, which means lack of experience, which means lack of proper more treatment. mistakes. Exactly, more mistakes. So, um, wait, what about so that's that's your experience now? But what about when you were doing rotations at NYU? Did you ever experience the same thing? You know, I did not. The reason being is patients come to a dental school knowing that they're going to be treated who has the least amount of experience. I mean, you literally have people who are, regardless of age, are doing, are, are drilling into teeth with no experience. So they, they come in with the mindset that they're going to be treated by an inexperienced dentist in training. Exactly. Um, I guess because they pay less, like they get cheaper discounts on, on the treatment for being, a, I guess, a subject of experimentation, so to speak. Right. And But a lot of them also know, it's like, it's, I've had a patient who has been to NYU for like 15 years so that, assuming each student sees them for two years that's they've seen almost seven rounds of students like seven graduating classes wow so and those patients I had one patient and he you know literally told me <laughs> that patient literally told me I come here because I know I'm gonna get the best treatment because I have not just one person looking at my teeth but there's faculty different faculty who are looking at my teeth as well too oh that's interesting so, so they yeah, they say I trust the school, so they come for the like school's reputation. If they only knew what the students were doing uh, in their spare time, when when they're, <laughs> when they're like they're missing out on all the sleep, not because they're studying, but you know because they're raging at at nightclubs and and you know <laughs> what was that? What was that thing? It was something called Zoo, Izu, Izu over oh, on that yeah, island. The, the festival. Yeah, I never went to that stuff. Yes, I I couldn't justify the cost because you know my previous point med school being expensive <laughs> yeah i mean i've i've actually faced the same thing um when when in the clinic it's uh i mean they didn't really they didn't reject treatment from me uh back in the day when i looked a lot a lot younger they just commented on it they always made a comment on it they're saying like aren't you a little too young to be to be in the hospital I was like, um, well, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> not really. I'm, I'm kind of on the older side. I'm older than all my colleagues. They're like, no way. But then again, they, I guess Asians are, most Asians are, they, they typically look younger. So we're at an unfair disadvantage. Yeah. At least on that front. Right. I mean, that's why I kind of, why I had to, you know, I was interested in digital dentistry for a while, but I really hopped on that like aspect because, you know, to do a really awesome presentation to a patient, like especially if it's a cosmetics case, everyone's uh, concerned with cosmetics. But then, if you're young and you have, le in their eyes, quote unquote, less experience, they're more hesitant to get those big treatments from me. And you know, I was really fortunate that my boss would go to the patient and say, like, "Hey, Dr. Lee here, is, you know, he does a lot of digital cosmetic, like digital dentistry, in regards to cosmetic dentistry as well." So whatever needs um, that you're trying to look for, he'll, I'm confident in his skills. So my boss really backed me up. And that's kind of, that's how I initially started getting more patients. It, I, I was fortunate enough to meet a boss who would kind of push for that, mm. which I'm sure many of my colleagues don't have that opportunity. They really have to just start from the bottom and wait until they glow up or they get, get <laughs> old 
in order to see those type of cases. Yeah, I I know that it's um, it it really depends on who you meet, how how they foster you and help you develop. That's that really determines the I guess the rate at which you grow in the career. Yeah, that's that's super important. Mm-hmm. But yeah, John, uh, what's uh what's the third point? Is another money one? Um, yes, the third point is another money one. So. We talked about money and the cost of money going into education and training, but then what about the money afterwards? You know, we a lot of people have this, I guess, false idea or false ideation, ideology, false ideology, false. Many people have this false ideology that doctors will become extremely rich extremely quickly. They're going to make a lot of money after they finish their training. <coughs> that seems to be. The common thing I hear um, is what I heard from people I knew back then that they told me, "Oh, once you graduate, then you're gonna be making, you're gonna be balling." <laughs> like, well, no, maybe balling on 50k because residency doesn't pay at all; it pays for shit. Um, yeah, but people don't consider the how, like the the condition and state that you're in financially by the time you finish. So we're finishing, when we finish all our education and I guess even residency, we finish training, mm-hmm. we end up starting our life with this huge amount of debt. We, there's no way that residency, which pays between 50 to 60K per year, and residency typically is like three to five years, right. there's no way you're going to pay off your debt with that small amount of money. You can maybe chip off a little bit if you're very conservative and uh, on a tight budget, living to continue living the student life. But it's not going to make a huge difference. And just starting off your life with debt, uh, it sucks. And spending like 10 years on medical training, now you're at the age where you want to meet someone and settle down potentially. right? So it kind of really puts you in this awkward situation. Um, So basically, one of the things I wish I knew was kind of relating back to point two where I, re- where I where I wish I knew how much money or how expensive this whole thing was and where at which point in my life I would actually finish all my training and how much money I would be making then because it's not a small amount of money trying to settle down start a family it these things cost money marriage costs money having kids costs money and if, if these are things that you don't want, great. But these are things that I would imagine a lot of people do want. And it doesn't really put you in a very good position to kickstart your life. At least it didn't for me. Yeah. And I'm speaking from personal experience. So it sucks. Like, imagine that you're trying to buy property because you want to buy a house now. Like, you're sick of living in rent. You want to get property. Yep, you're, you've been eyeballing this house for a long time or... I guess with the with the market these days, not even that long. You just see one. It's like okay, I really want to get this, and you decide you decide to put some down payment on it. Everything you have, well, great. You have property now, and you're paying off mortgage. But what about your loan payments? Mm-hmm. What's gonna happen? To, what's gonna happen to that? But then on the flip side, if you're only thinking about your your loans, and you're aggressively paying it off, then you're not gonna have any money to put down for the property. Like it's like you can only you can only do one like you can't really do both and you got to pick the lesser of two evils it seems like right and these days rental property is so expensive like living in an apartment is almost as if not 
as expensive as paying off a mortgage for a home. Right. Yeah, that's true. But you don't have the you don't have to have that um, massive amount uh, upfront for the down payment. That's the only thing that keeps people stuck in, I guess, rental places. But it it puts you in a very bad situation uh, for a lot of people who don't have who who are financial in for a lot of people who are financially independent. Which what I mean by that is they don't have their parents like buying them a house. I mean some people do, but like in my case I don't. So then I have to make this make the decision. Do I want to save up money and kind of just pay off my interest only, and then try to build a large sum of money so I can just put that down on down payment as soon as I see a house I'm interested in, and then kind of take care of that, or do I want to aggressively pay off my known loans? The or do I want to aggressively pay off my loans like the very traditional way, and get the house later, later on in life? Yeah. So. We both share those struggles. Albert and I will we'll talk more about that later on. We have、uh, some, we have our own tips to share, but that's for another episode. So, Albert, I'll pass the baton to you. What's your next、uh, next thing that? What is the next thing that you wish you knew? Yeah, I do quite a bit of cosmetic work.、Um, I'll say this: when we're dental students, Instagram was really big. SNS was like social media was really big. Still very big. And we would all. Look, It's still very big, and we look, used to look at all these famous doctors, like Doctor Appa, and you know you see these cases of like these really beautiful transformations and new smiles, and everyone wants to do something like that because it's it's cool. You, I mean, you get to have such an impact on a patient's life and, and their physical appearance, but not every case is going to turn out like that. And you know, having realistic, keeping realistic standards for yourself and the patient is. Key in cosmetics. Obviously, if a patient comes in with the like the most screwed up like bite with the like worst like features for doing like veneers on or crowns on, you obviously don't want to talk to the patient. You don't want to talk to the patient and say, "Don't worry about, don't worry about it. I'm going to transform your smile to look like a Hollywood smile," because that's not always the case. I, I mean, I have so many stories、um, of like patients. Who have been told by other dentists, "Oh, we'll take care of it with this crown or these crowns and these veneers, and you'll look perfect." Like I, I had a case a couple days ago, where I originally wanted the patient to do orthodontics, like braces first, and then do crowns and veneers, just so that we could get the most predictable outcome. And I told the patient, "I think that's the way we're going to do it," and she said, "But the other doctor told me I could just do crowns and I'll look beautiful." And you know, that was a. A nightmare of a case. When I did the case and I showed the, you know, the impressions to the lab,、uh, my lab tech, who's a, a really close individual of mine,、um, and he said, "You are literally shitting me, right?" He said, "Albert, I'm a lab tech, not God." And I said, "I'm sorry. This is the best that we could do." I mean, fortunately, the case turned out really well. The patient was really happy. I mean, she was kind of tearing up in the chair, and she was like, "I'm," and she later told me. Personally, as well, like thank you so much. Like I, I really love the new smile he gave me. But as a provider, I, I'm glad she was a nice patient. She was one of the few really nice, least picky patients because you have those really stickler patients who are gonna be so nitpicky that your life is gonna be a miserable hell. And it's, it's good to keep realistic standards for yourself and the patient, and just to tell them, hey, I'm gonna do the best I can. And this is how it's gonna look, but I don't want you to have any expectations that you're gonna look like, I don't know, like one of those Hollywood stars with the perfect teeth. 
you're gonna end up better with than what you have right right now but let's keep things realistic and i think having that mindset is meant is better mentally for you as a provider and so you don't mull over it and you know hurt like mentally degrade yourself what do the patients end up saying when you tell them those realistic expectations um well i have to word it in such a way where it doesn't seem like i'm downplaying my skill of course uh but i always tell the patients like straight up and i've never had a single bad response i've actually had patients say thank you for being so honest with me um, i've had patients say you know what after what you told me i'll reconsider doing this because i don't want to do let's say for example I don't want to, I've had one patient say, I don't want to do an in like a, a voluntary root canal just to get the smile. And I said, that's perfectly fine. I don't blame you for that. And I've had patients say, you know what? Thank you for being so honest with me. I want to still try. And we do that cosmetic work. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's really important. Uh, so the way you were describing it and I guess the specific examples you gave, I, I would imagine, I don't have the experience obviously, but I would imagine that it's a very fine line you have to tread between being extremely honest with the patient so that you know it's full transparency you're being extremely honest you're managing expectations you're not trying to trick them uh, while not downplaying your skills at the same time you don't want them to kind of just think that you're saying this in order to pre prevent responsibility from going to you right, right? right. does that make any sense yeah it does uh that's 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 how i would see it um i think it's really important i i would if i was a patient i can tell you right now that if i was a patient my dentist told me all of that i would be super appreciative because i would know that the specific dentist that tells me those realistic things that gives it to me honestly doesn't beat around the bush okay so this guy's not just trying to do procedures to make money he's he actually cares about like he cares about the expectations i'll have from getting a specific procedure so that i can make the uninformed decision of whether i want to do something or not right right if you don't do that then you're going to remind me of these horrible vets that i've, I've gone to who literally seem like they are um just money grabbing mm -hmm. Like they didn't give they didn't give a shit about anything. So it was like, okay, you have to do X Y Z procedure. You have to do every single one of them, and if you don't want to do it, then you can take your dog and go. Yeah, and I, I hate those type of doctors and dentists. Um, it, it, managing like patient expectations is another key element of building a good relationship with them. I believe, because first of all, elective procedures like cosmetic work. What matters at the end of the day is the patient's health. If you really screw up the patient's teeth they might as well never they should have never gotten the procedure in the first place like why are you making someone's physical like health worse or like you know physical looks worse do you guys have a course on that by any chance no but uh i you know i worked with a lot of cosmetic dentists not just in america but in korea as well you know korea kind of has that money uh, i don't know a, a lot the of cosmetic money dentists. money, money mm -hmm. grabbing kind of mentality yeah and yeah, yeah especially because in, in korea like cosmetics is everything and they'll undergo cases that should not have been taken and then if the patient's too much of a hassle or too picky they're just like i did everything i did yeah I mean, if you don't I like it you I can would, go somewhere else i would imagine it's like almost equivalent to another subgroup of plastic surgery the the procedures are all done purposely for aesthetics and cosmetics not for health I mean, at least just what I can stereotype about Korea as a nation. I'm, I, you know, I'm South Korean by blood, 
or by heritage, I mean. Um, so I'm not I'm not talking down on it. I love I love Korea, but it is like that. That's it's pretty well known that Korea is uh, has a high rate of plastic surgery procedures. Um, so why I asked you if you have classes in dental school that cover that is because we have classes um, that cover that in med school, where <coughs> I think it's part of ethics. We you know we can't apologize. Like they tell us specifically, like not to apologize. Like they're in, it's like very traditional. It's like you can't if you're late to go in. If a patient is waiting and you go into the office really late, you don't apologize for that. But in the real world, they they do because patients appreciate that. But they tell us strictly not to apologize because that indicates that you've done something wrong, and that's just to kind of protect your own ass. You don't want to apologize for something you didn't do anything wrong for. And you never make promises about anything. Even if you know that this treatment is going to make them better like 99.9% .9 of the time, given the data of the different studies and drug trials that they've done, you don't say that. You just say, oh, we're, uh, you're, you're in the best hands. We're taking, we're taking all the necessary steps to ensure that we're giving you the most appropriate treatment to help you get better. Like, we're taught that. It's, it's kind of a, it's strange because when I was listening to him, I'm like, huh. It sounds like it's something that should be taught in a course. Yeah, I mean, in courses, they're just like, they tell you the basic, like, dimensions of what's considered considered an aesthetic smile. But, of course, in order to get there, you need a good foundation. And I would say 80% of patients don't have that foundation. So, in dentistry, you don't focus on patient relations as, as like, a, a, a topic in a course? From my experience, they always mention it, but we never really delve deeply into it i think we have to teach wow. ourselves and find out ourselves that's that's actually quite surprising because i would have thought that dental schools would teach a little a kind of like a course or at least part of a course helping them to better understand how to have better god damn it so many betters um so i would imagine that dental schools would have taught students how to manage patient relationships a little bit better but guess not yeah i mean interesting my experiences all came from learning from my bosses and you know personal experiences i i feel like the school itself the schooling system the education system did not really go too much into that i don't know how it is for other schools but at least for my school it didn't feel like that as much mm -hmm. okay that's that's something new uh something new i learned about dentistry pretty cool um okay uh i guess point f this is uh, our fourth point so john what, what was uh, your next point um so point number four i guess this would be you don't really need to know everything when you're in medical school and that's okay so during med school we're oftentimes we're tested on how many things we can memorize how many things we can learn how many things we can understand and we get assessed by taking school exams or board exams or getting grilled by your attendings we're always being assessed by how much stuff we can cram into our brains. And all of these quote unquote reflect how good of a doctor that you will be in the future, which is not necessarily always the case, as you mentioned, like having good patient relations, uh, being you know, upfront and honest, like those things are good and important as well. It's not just how much you know. So all of this kind of like training and learning and testing, it rewires our brain into thinking that we have to know every single answer and that somehow, almost in a way, embeds fear into us, 
with even having the small thought or the slight thought of us showing others that we don't know what the answer is or if we get something wrong um, when attending is grilling us or <clears throat> or on an exam or something. But in actuality, most physicians often later in their career, they learn that saying I don't know is okay, right? Medicine is always evolving. It's an ever evolving field. There's so many new advancements that are happening. Standard of care is always changing because healthcare is thankfully improving over time. So we can't know everything. We can't. It's impossible. This is something that I wish I knew before, I guess before my surgery uh, rotation where the attending was grilling me in the OR. So the whole point of grilling in, in medicine is to really just challenge the students to keep thinking until we get to a point where we don't know what the answer is and we kind of hit a wall so to speak and that is to help us really discover where like how much we know and where our starting point for learning and deepening or widening our knowledge is but we all get mortified we're all we're all so scared of getting the question wrong and we start dripping like we start dripping in sweat our face turns red our voice starts cracking it's it's horrible but it's okay to say you don't know. If you don't know the right answer, I would just say I don't know instead of getting it wrong, to be honest. But not knowing everything is is totally fine. Yeah. I mean, do you remember that phrase, like, everyone always used to say this, like, fake it till you make it? Mm -hmm. I, I think in the real world, you do not want to do that. As a student, you have the, the freedom or ability to, ability to fake it till you make it. But when you're tr actually treating patients and when someone's grilling you, it's okay. Yeah. Don't try to fake it. Just say, I don't know. You may hear that you're, yeah, you, like, I had um, an oral surgeon that I work with and, you know, he would, uh, when I was a still, when I was still a student, he would ask me all these very technical questions and he would, uh, he would literally tell me like, Albert, how do you not know this? What are, what are you paying your tuition for? And that would always make me so embarrassed. But you know, you know what that did for me though? Like hearing that motivated me. His original intent was to motivate me to do my own research, look into it, study into it more. Yeah, I mean, that's a very, uh, very aggressive way to get you motivated. <laughs> um, but you bring up a good point, like faking it till you make it. But it worked, yeah. So a lot of people in the healthcare, I guess a lot of students, whether they're nursing students, dental students, med students, vet students, whatever, there's a huge thing that negatively affects their mental health and that's suffering from imposter syndrome it's like a big thing right now like so many people on tiktok are like sharing videos of i'm suffering from imposter syndrome it's taking a huge hit on my on my mental health like i'm feeling down i'm feeling negative i feel hopeless i feel like you know i'm gonna be a failure and that's that's okay to feel but that's where i actually think as like i agree with you where to an extent faking it till you make it is important and it can work and can help you get motivated but but always feeling like that, it's, you know, it, it, it doesn't, I don't think it leaves a positive outcome in, in the end. Yeah. Okay, without, I mean, that's, we're going way too deep into really dark subjects. So, uh, Albert, do you have something that can lighten the mood at all? Um, I've got kind of an inspirational one, actually. Um, do not expect anyone. So this is fact number four mm -hmm. for me. Do not expect anyone to offer to be your mentor. You have to go out and get them yourself. Um, this is something I learned very early on into dental in dental school. I mean, the academia is it kind of revolves 
there's a lot of bias like um you know some p uh, some faculty will favor other students and it's not because you're doing anything wrong it's it's just how it is and sometimes you don't have the best mentors so what you what do you have to do do you just sit there and cry about it and you know hopefully pass and expect life to get better no that's not what happens instead you kind of have to get grab life by the reins and just ride it out and pick the direction you want to go uh, and that's what i did i came to georgia first because i asked my current boss hey i'm a dental student right now i'm just finishing my first year i want to learn more and i've heard good things about your clinic i want to learn more from you and through him i met my other boss and through uh, th through that boss i've gotten to meet so many people like well like renowned like faculty members at other schools um other clinicians and i had to actually act i had to actively look for mentors and i think this was one of the best things that i ever like kind of learned on my own because going back to your thing you don't need to know everything you're never going to know everything but when you have those mentors out there they can open doors for you to find a starting point to teach uh, you and for you to learn yourself what do i want to achieve what do i want to get out of this experience and help yourself grow as an individual and as a health professional yeah i mean that's actually that was going to be my point number five and you kind of stole it from me um no. Oops. <laughs> it's, okay, it's okay i'll think of another one um but i completely agree with you it's not about what you know it's really about who you know and that applies for any career and i think especially for medicine they tend to downplay it a lot just the way they teach the students so in med school we quickly learn that we have to become self-sufficient and no one's really going to hold our hand through med school we need to be able to figure out how we learn best and we have to figure it out really quickly as fast as possible and med school students you remember that old that old saying where maybe you don't actually but a lot, i heard this saying a long time ago where back in the day when everything was like like you know hardcover textbooks paper in the library people would go to the library read up on whatever they didn't know because the lecture notes didn't they weren't comprehensive or all inclusive of all the information they would go to the library and read up on the notes and they'd rip that page out so their next colleagues wouldn't be able to find it right there's that whole crazy thing that's not necessarily the case anymore i think right now at least from my experience med students they do work together and they do help each other, but there's still that innate sense of comp competition that exists amongst your colleagues and your friends that really just kind of forces you to focus on yourself a lot, right? And you can't really do that. You can't really do that in in life. Is and that and people quickly realize that afterwards because if you are able to build your network and maintain good relationships relationships with them. It can help you get into your number one choice of residency. It can help you get into that fellowship program at an Ivy League institution. Yes, your grades are important, but another factor, another thing that they look at is, do you have a referral? Someone who can vouch for you is huge. But, you know, as hermiting med students studying in the library, isolated from the rest of the world, maybe even isolated from some of your med school friends, we don't get to learn that right away, so good point. I like it.
Thank you, sir. Uh, what about you? What's your last point now? Yes. So my last point, mm, because you stole mine. <laughs> okay. So in medicine, choosing a specialty, and what I mean by specialty is choosing your residency program. It is a lifetime decision. So after you finish four years of med school, where you do like a bunch of clinical rotations, whatever residency program you get accepted into pretty much determines your future. And then if you go a little bit deeper than that, whatever residency program you can get accepted to is pretty much determined by your USMLE scores. So it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an entire shithole of a system, to be honest, but it's not super common for people to change the residency program once they start in a certain program if someone's in surgery yes they can switch over to something else i know someone that was in surgery that were that they were in like their third year of surgery residency and they switched over to radiology very uncommon most people just stick with the program that they're in and kind of ride it out and that's that's the rest of their life right no one wants to go back and do an extra year earning only 50 to 60k but yeah we don't know that we don't really think about that we don't process that in that way and i think it's something that we should be thinking about it in that way so residency interviews is not just a regular job interview you're not just trying to look for a job after you finish med school it's an interview that you're doing that determines the rest of your life and that's the scary part dentistry is definitely not like that i think uh you know some Yes, there are some specialties that once you in dentistry that once you become the specialist, you can never do general work again. But I have seen some dentists who, let's say, they do a they they do a specialty and they realize that's not right for them. Um, there are some dentists who have gone through that and they end up, you know, just giving up this um, specialty certificate like degree and they go back to doing general dentistry. But uh, yeah. <laughs> That, so that happens too. Um, so for internal medicine, you can do fellowships and let's say you go into something like endocrinology. Mm -hmm. uh, at least from what I know, this is like maybe it's outdated information, but endocrinologists, it was really hard for them to find jobs. So even though they finished a fellowship in endocrinology, they had to go back and be a general internist because they couldn't get a job. And even if they did get a job, it I was actually lower paying. Like you're specialized in something, but it's paying less. That sucks. But I think that's, I think because there's so many routes compared to dentistry, dentistry. It's pretty straightforward. I, I, like the way, <clears throat> yeah, the way I would like to think about it is dentistry is like internal medicine, right? Because like you finish dentistry, then it's like finishing internal medicine. You can choose which direction you want to go. You can become a generalist. You can do specializing into something. But then for medicine, it's like you finish. And then now there's like a whole bunch of other paths. It's like, well, I kind of have to pick one. And you kind of get kind of get bamboozled. But, you know, it is what it is. So, Albert, last one. Tell me, what do you have for us? Okay. This last one, it's very... It's a given. But it's... um. It was the most important thing that I learned since um, entering my first clinical <clears throat> setting in my third year of dental school. Do not expect every patient to fall in love with you. And, you know, you would think that it's like the most, duh, like, 
no brainer, right? But as dental students, you, and I'm sure as med students too, you're you're basically hyped. You're told by the school like you're gonna start seeing patients now. You're gonna be a doctor. You have a white coat. Congratulations, you're halfway there, and this is where your life starts. And you have. Can this, I can I cut you off there yeah, sure. for a second? Sure. I want to change that. You said do not expect every patient to fall in love with you, right? If I was to make a slight adjustment to that sentence, I would say do not expect any patient to fall oh, in love with you. Some... <laughs> with that specific with that specific expectation where not a single patient will fall in love uh, if with the expectation in your mind that not a single patient will fall in love with you, then when a patient does, it feels so much better. And when a patient lashes out, then it wouldn't feel okay. as bad. Yeah, I agree with that. That, I mean that's that that was my that was that's that was my mindset. So I completely agree with your point here. But I just wanted to make that correct uh small little correction before you get too far into the thing and I kind of missed the timing, so no, sorry to fine. cut you off. Please continue. <laughs> I mean Okay. For for me, I was hyped to go into the clinical setting because, you know, I thought to myself, okay, this is where my life starts. I'm going to start treating this patient and the patient's going to love me and I'm going to build such great lasting relationship with all my patients. That's not the case. I mean, I, I've had patients, you know, I have, yes, those patients who, you know, get me Christmas presents and like gift cards and just like, oh, thank you for being, you know, there for my family, uh, like treating my patients or treating my family. And I have built those relationships. But at the same time, I just have had patients not like me simply because, like I said, my age or how young I look. I even had one pa I've I've had a couple of patients literally straight up say I don't want to be seen by him because he's Asian. Wow. What what specific event happened to you? Not where they not well, not an event where they yelled something or stated something, but they did something to you. Has there ever been a case like that? Maybe they got really upfront oh, and boy. personal, maybe some physical altercation i don't know physical altercation wow i can't really think of a physical altercation at the top of my head but you know i've had very harsh words said to me um just you know what was the harshest word that you've heard i've been called a chink yeah um mm -hmm. i mean we okay yes I, I this happened when i was in i believe it, this is back when i was a student and you know new york is a very it's a it's a cultural melting pot and having a patient just straight up say that to me was it honestly broke something inside of me hearing that it's not like i did something like a wrong treatment it's just that you know i was you know when you're trying to graduate and you want to get like the best experience out of everything trying to do everything you can for the patient and learn everything and hearing a patient say that to you it really broke my self-confidence and really didn't want me to like I, 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 that was the first time I ever said, I really don't want to do patient care. That was probably one of the only times I ever said that to myself and felt like wow. that. I mean, I guess it was a kind of like a traumatic experience for you, but at least you know that you have patients that actually love you. Yeah. Right. Right. Now. right. I mean, that's, that's so. kind of the saving grace. I mean, that's why I enjoy the work I do right now. I mean, like last year uh, for Christmas, a patient gave me literally a small gift card, like $15 gift card, but they wrote a really nice letter for me. They said, you know, um, we really appreciate you taking the time to be very thorough, you know, help explain the case, uh, like my, my case or my wife's case or my husband's case, whatever, and just taking and being there for us and, you know, never looking down on us. 
and you know trying to educate us and trying to mm-hmm. be there for us we really appreciate it and like reading those type of letters are it it makes my day so much better like and it kind of gives me a reason to say you know what i may be working six days but if i can get more patients like this the work i'm doing the physical like tiredness i'm feeling doesn't seem so bad all right so uh, these are just a few things that albert and i wished we knew before getting into medicine and dentistry of course these are not going to apply to everyone and some of you might think we're just talking out of our asses some of you it might apply to some of you take it as you wish Uh, it took us a good while to learn all of this and we really did wish someone told us about this before so if it helps you be successful then great if it doesn't well you know hopefully it'll help you dodge some really potentially unfortunate events but anyways like always remember stay curious be humble and don't forget have fun We'll see you in the next one.